Well, good morning. Everybody looks dandy this morning. Is it just me or how many of you just really like fall? Today seems like the first fall day. Maybe you've seen a couple, but I love fall. I like all the seasons. I like summer when it's not hot. And uh, my wife likes very, she likes hot weather. She likes warm summer weather until it happens. Um, I, I did want to uh, mention a couple of things. We do have uh, these cards. The, uh, you can grab one of these. These are invitations to Harvestville Corners. They, are, they will be outside on the desk out there. This is, everybody's invited to their, uh, their a- annual dinner, which is October 16th. It's going to be at the Pinery up on the hillside up there. And uh, you're all invited. Uh, it would be nice. I think it asks for RSVP, yes. So make sure that you do that. But you're invited. This is, this is a ministry, ministry organization that we do in uh, Pakistan, started by Jerry Tuttle right here in the church. Jerry is not here this weekend. He wasn't here last weekend. His, his daughter-in-law just passed away this last week, uh, week before last. And they're still, they're coming back right now. I continue to pray for them. That this, is, this is more than difficult um, this is this is weighing heavy on all of them. Obviously, uh, they've got a good church there. They've got a strong church. Charlie is a, a pastor of a church uh, there, and they've got a good church family. But the more people praying, the better. And so, continue to pray for them. But but Jerry wanted me to make sure that everybody knew you're invited to the dinner. But you need to RSVP and you need to grab one of these so that you have the reminder of that. Do you do you have those? Is Annika has them? Okay, so Annika is going to do this for us. Um, anybody that wants one, raise your hand, and I will bring one to you right now. And Greta, both of the Kraymeyer daughters got hooked into this. So raise your hand if you need one of these invitations to the dinner and picked two very pretty girls to do this this morning. Let's give these two girls just a hand clap for being pretty. <laughs> Uh, we've been uh, having lots of babies around here lately. We have one in service with us this morning. Lily, do you want to stand up and show everybody Maya? Remember to make fun of her much later in life about the bow on her head presently at this moment. Um, also, the Jans. Did I see Josh earlier this morning? Is he here? He was? <laughs> he couldn't, couldn't last the whole service. He just had a baby. Um, is this, oh, here we go. This is a uh, little Jan's baby, uh, Sawyer. And he, and, uh, he was about this long, about that heavy. And, uh, they just had, they just had Sawyer baby this week. And I think Brianna, is Brianna here? Did I see Brianna somewhere? Brianna, when are you due? Oh, you can't get it with everybody else. You can't make that happen. Okay. <laughs> she, she's been working on it. Uh, we, we believe in, uh, procreating around here. It's uh, it's one of our it's one of our tenets of faith. So, um, I did want to mention we do have they they mentioned the announcement. Do have the uh, journey tonight at my house? Twenty uh, somethings tomorrow night at my house. Just let us know tonight. Everybody's welcome. Not to the twenty somethings. You have to be twenty something for that one. But uh, everybody's welcome to the journey tonight. Just let us know so that we have plenty of food. Um, Linda is making something special tonight. She told me about it last night, and I'm looking really looking forward to it. It's kind of a fall dish. And so, uh, just let us know about that. Turn me to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. This is continuation of, oh, oh, I did want to mention, where did Tyler go? They said, Tyler uh, is one of our missionaries, and he is going to be with us in a couple months. 
or something like that, but he was here this morning. Um, he uh, said something about he knows this is the greatest church in Colorado Springs, and so he's here this morning. But definitely you can uh, get to know him before you leave. But he will be, we've already got him on the calendar. I don't remember right now, but it's in a month or two uh, that he's going to be here with us in service. And uh, we like the, the Schultz. They're, they're wonderful. I was about to say kids. They're not kids. They're, they're on adults, but they just seem like kids to me. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1. This is a continuation of this uh, series. Now, this, this series, the One Soul series, uh, again, this, the One Soul is about our capital campaign and our building, our, our new building, the capital campaign, all this stuff. And I'm going to be talking about that next week, but the week after. We're going to show you plans. We're going to do all that stuff. Some of you that are new around here, I haven't, I haven't mentioned this recently. But here's the reason that we, that, that, and I'll talk about why I haven't mentioned it recently either. But um, this, the reason that we call the One Soul, the capital campaign One Soul, is because of a, a, a few basic things about who we are. This is not just something that we're doing. This is actually integral to who we are. And so I want to I want to go over some of that stuff again to make sure that everybody's on board. The reason that we call it with the, the one soul is because we believe the reason that you should be doing things like building buildings and stuff like that is because you're growing specifically because people are getting saved. All right. This is a big deal for us here that this is about people coming to know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Years ago, I used to go to all kinds of church growth conferences, seminars, all kinds of things. I've got tons of books in my offices about church growth, all this kind of stuff. Let me, let me explain to you who we are as a church. We do not have a church growth plan at Church of Briargate, and we never will have a church growth plan. One of the things that kind of got to me over time of going to these and going to these and going to these is I realized over time that that church growth seminars and church growth conferences and books and plans had two basic things that were part of them without realizing it. What they were doing is they were designing these things specifically for church people that already know Jesus to come to their church. Now, because of that, there was two things that happened. The first thing is, is what you're theoretically doing, I don't think it's theoretically, I think you're actually intentionally doing this, is you're convincing people to come from other churches. You're trying to have a better uh, program, a better plan, cooler atmosphere or something, whatever you think is the key to get people to go, come from another church to come to your church because church growth plans are built around Christians. They're not built around lost people. Most of them are. I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, but most of them. And so then what you're doing without realizing the second thing you're doing is the first thing is you're taking people from other churches if you're successful. And the, the second thing that you're doing is you're actually building a subculture that is kind of the us mentality that if you're a person that does not know Jesus as Savior, you probably don't see this as a place that you feel welcome or connected to. It's kind of an unintentional outcome, but that's really what happens is if, if you're trying to draw church people, then you're trying to entice people that already kind of speak the language, uh, walk the walk, have the attitudes or the, the, the clothes or something. I mean, there's a bunch of pieces to this potentially, but you, you're without realizing you're probably ostracizing people that don't know Jesus as their Savior because they don't know how to get into that circle. They don't know, the, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know that they're supposed to be looking for a cool rock band for worship. They, nobody told them that. And so they, they might actually want to actually feel the presence of Jesus and not know that's not really what we're looking for. And so I, I'm being really critical at this particular moment. But, but you understand what I'm saying. They, they, you're, actually, you're actually ostracizing people that might be, be hungry for Jesus. Okay? And so, so with that, 
at Church of Briargate, we are about people getting saved. And yes, we have grown. We're going to continue to grow. We are going to build a building and all this other stuff. But the reason is, is because we want to continue to develop a, a place and an opportunity, including facilities, for people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the goal. That's our purpose with this. We want every one of you here to be drawing closer to Jesus on, on a consistent basis, and we want you to be bringing people in your neighborhoods, in your communities, your workplace, your schools with you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior along the way. So with that, I'm going to go back to the sentence that I started with last week, and I want to, I want to go back over it again, and then we'll go uh, uh, kind of the, the direction we're going this morning. But to remind you of this from last week, and and, and to kind of open it again, Luke chapter 15, 1 is, for me as a pastor, it's one, it is the most important scripture that sets for me the stage of how I'm supposed to think about Jesus Christ as a pastor. Not necessarily my Christian walk, um, but as a pastor, this is a defining missional scripture for me. And it basically says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Again, I know I said some of this last week, but I want to, I want to get it in our heads again as I go forward with this. If you go back into Jesus' time, the church hated Jesus, persecuted Jesus, did not accept him or believe him the way that he said he was. The sinners are the ones that were interested in what he had to say because he was talking about life and truth and, and, and reality of, 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 of existence but that it was a, had a spiritual direction connotation to it. And so there was a connectedness that, that, that people in society were connecting to that the church was not connecting to. The church did not grab on to who Jesus was. Uh, the world did. Now, again, I believe very strongly, uh, and, and I do have to broaden it. I'm not necessarily saying church at Briargate, this is us. I'm not saying that. In fact, I don't think it is us. But I, I do believe the church in general, specifically in America, we would be the exact same now as they were in Jesus' time. If Jesus shows up in America right now in physical form and begins to say the exact same things that he did when he was on the earth 2,000 years ago, I believe the church in general would have the same reaction nowadays that, that, that they did then. If he said the exact same things and he said, I am God, and he said, this is sin, and the, the, the church is doing a lot of things that are, that are directly opposite of what Scripture says. There's a lot of things that we're doing and believe in and have philosophy of that are not what Jesus said. They're, in fact, they're the opposite. Now, again, I don't, think, I don't think all of the church world, I do think there is a conservative side of Christianity in America that doesn't fit this exactly, but I still would use it for us right here. If Jesus shows up and begins to say the things that he said 2,000 years ago, would we embrace that or would we reject it? And I believe in today's society, the same exact thing would happen. The, the, the us and them that I talked about a few weeks ago, the, 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 we say we're the church and the them are the bad guys. They're the horrible sinners or the evil people. And, and we've been doing that too long in the church. We've been pushing them off to the side so much and, and, and focusing so much that they're this horrible sinner group that we have no input into their world. They don't listen to the church because the church has made them the enemy. And they're not the enemy. They're human beings that were created in the image of, of God just like anybody in this building is. 
And we've got to be able to, to bridge some of those gaps that we've, we've built chasms between the church and the world in a very unhealthy way. And we've got to be able to bridge some of those things to be able to speak life into some of these people that, that I believe they're hungry for it. But we have not put ourselves as the church, we've not put ourselves in a healthy place to be able to say this is, this is who Jesus is. And so to, 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 to come back to this, to reiterate this, I believe that the sinners of society would be just as interested in Jesus today as they were 2,000 years ago. And I believe the church would be just as resistant today as the church was 2,000 years ago. And so our responsibility is to investigate this on a personal level and say, well, then what am I doing or saying or thinking or whatever that might contribute to this in a negative sense? What, what, what am I potentially saying that's not actually Jesus, it's maybe my church or my religion or my denomination or my pastor or that Bible study says or something? What, what do I need to think differently or verbalize differently to really be verbalizing who Jesus really is so that the, 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 the sinners, the notorious sinners of society would actually be interested. Because I think they're just as interested today. I, I think the church has convinced us that they're not interested today. And I think the church is wrong about this. Very rarely do I come across people that don't have the same basic things, spiritual hunger and, and all this. And so, so I want to uh, put one more scripture here in verse uh, Psalms chapter 130, verse 3 and 4. It says, Lord... If you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But if you offer forgiveness, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. And, and I really think that this is a, a constant truth in society that, yes, we are sinners. And if God really was about judging, we would be done. If God was really just about slamming us and hammering us, yes, we would be done. There's no doubt about that. But he specifically says that God is offering forgiveness. Is there such a thing as right and wrong, heaven and hell, sin and all? Yes, but God offers forgiveness for this. It's not the church's responsibility to change either side. We don't lighten up on the fact that, yes, there is sin, and it will take you to hell. It's destructive. It won't only take you to hell eternally. It destroys you here on this earth, too. But not only that, but we can be free from that. It's not just the subject of there is sin, but we can be free from it. We can be forgiven. If God was about just slamming us, we'd be done for. He's not about that. He's about redeeming us from the trap that we are in the junk that we are in. So the church's responsibility, and by the way, that's what the notorious sinners were interested in Jesus talking about. We think, and we've told ourselves that the world's not interested in it, but they are. The world really wants to know the same things you and I want to know. Let me, let me, let me show it to you this way. We're going to show you a video, and this is of Christine. And uh, Christine's going over her testimony, and I want to, I want to kind of unpack it a little bit when, when she's done with this. Go ahead. When I was five years old, I already knew Jesus but I didn't know who he was. I just knew that he was God and that I could talk to him and that he was my friend. I didn't know anything about salvation, never even heard it spoken about until I was 12 years old and went to a Billy Graham movie with my mother. And it was a revelation to me. It was, and they had the, the uh, altar call at the end and they said, you know, if you believe this, come to the front. And I grabbed my mother and I said, Mom, we've got to go down there. But she said, well, you go if you want to. And so I did. And from that moment on, I wanted more. I wanted more and more. And so I started reading my Bible. When I was in high school, 
one of my teachers wrote on the board one day, she said, if there's so many religions in the world, aren't you, don't you think there's one that's true? And so I wanted to find that true one and went to visit my mother-in-law's church and found out about the Holy Spirit. And that was the icing on the cake. But it's always been a process for me because here's, what, here's my philosophy. Either everything in the book is true or it's, there's no use for it. I have no use for it if it's not true. And I've researched it. I've talked to the Lord. I've listened to what he's told me through the word. And I am convinced with everything I've got that everything in the book is true and that it can change your life. And God has never failed me. He's always provided for me. He's always been there when I needed him and his grace is sufficient. Now let me let me ask you some questions to make you think about some things here. Th this is basically uh, Christine's testimony. So so here's my question. What about this makes Christine different than everybody else? I want you to think, is there anything she said there that you want more, that you that you really wanted answers? You're, you're thinking spiritually. Is, is that make her different than any one of us here? I, I believe every one of us in this room are, are, thinks spiritually. In fact, I've never ran across somebody that doesn't, doesn't realize that there's more than this. Now, every now and then you'll come across a, an atheist that says, no, when this life is over, you're done. But I don't even think they really believe that. You've heard me say this before. I don't believe in atheists, and I try to remind them of that when I talk to them. I, I, I don't. I, I don't think there is such a thing as an atheist. Why? Because God puts something in them that hungers for him, and that's universal. It's, it's every, t every time in, in history, every human being. So here's the deal. Every human being is thinking on a spiritual level. They want certain things. They want peace. Every human being wants peace in their spirit and in their heart. They do. Now, now they don't always know how to get there, and sometimes they, they are countercultural to that in their existence, but people want peace. And in fact, maybe I'm just, maybe it's as I'm getting older or whatever, but it seems to me that right now in society, we, there seems to be more turmoil than ever before. There seems to be more unrest in, in, in our existence than ever before. And, and I, I know that human beings want peace. That's one of the things that's universal to everybody. Every single human being wants to be loved and to love. There is that internal thing that, it, that makes us, that this is who we are. And so part of our responsibility when we're living as Christians is to somehow get those basic things across to them. Somebody took the time and the energy to talk to Christine about these things, and she got it. Now, it may have taken a different time, may have been different circumstances than, than you or whatever, but it's the same for all of us. If we can just explain who Jesus is to somebody, most people will, will, they won't reject it. They may not accept him right then, but they won't reject it because he really, Jesus really is what they're looking for, and he really does answer their questions. What we have to do as a church is to figure out how to get there uh, in such a way that it gets the point across. Now, the... This is, let's go to Acts chapter 26 with this, and I want to show you some examples um, in Scripture. You're going to have to keep that baby quiet. That is disturbing me like crazy. <laughs> I love the sound of little babies crying. I know that makes me a horrible person, specifically when they go, you know, that kind of thing, and they just, I love that. It just, my wife thinks it's evil, but I don't think it's, I think it's because God gave them the ability to expand their lungs. See? 
I just love that song. Acts chapter 26, verse 4. Now, this is Paul, and Paul is witnessing here. Now, this is, this is important. Paul does a very nice, succinct witnessing moment here that we can learn from. You can process, and I'll help you un- uh, unpack it here at the end. Now, th- this, is, this is interesting because uh, a lot of times we take anything that people say in Scripture and we say, well, that's a good witnessing example, and it's not like Peter after Pentecost. That's not a good witnessing example. He was doing something different there. People did get saved because at the end of it, he, he, he brought it home. But he was trying to accomplish something a little different at the beginning. Same thing with Stephen. When Stephen was being martyred, it's not necessarily a good witnessing thing because he wasn't trying to witness to people at that bar, at that moment. What he was doing is he was on trial. He turns it around and puts them on trial. That's the concept behind that, at least my perception of it. And so he basically says, this is the trial. This is, this is the deal. And this is the history of where we've come to, to right now. He's given biblical uh, journey kind of mentality. Paul is specifically witnessing here to King Agrippa. He was brought before Festus first, and he's telling to Festus, and they're having these back and forth questions over and over. And at one point, he gets to like, um, like end time event stuff. It, it says it right above this in, in chapter 25 and then down in 26. It talks about he was brought before Festus, and he begins to talk about end time events. And this was, this was after they had been discussing that. Why do I say that? Because I don't think end time events is a good witnessing thing, okay? But by the time Paul had got to that point with Festus, it's because they had been discussing and debating, and Festus just freaks out and goes, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Um, and, and, and then he's going to release him, and Paul found out that, he, that they were going to trap him and kill him, and so he appeals to Rome. Now, you would say, well, he eventually gets killed in Rome. So this, was this a good idea to appeal to go to Rome? Well, it was because Paul knew that's where he was going to die. It had already been prophesied to him. God had already told him personally. Remember the guy comes up to him, wraps his belt around his arms, and says, this is how you're going to be taken to Rome. You know, he's really overdramatic. And, and Paul says, yeah, I know. Because why? Holy Spirit had already put that in his heart. You're going to be taken to Rome. You're going to die in that. So this is kind of like part of this whole journey thing. So he gets got, brought before King Agrippa, which was a king um, to the Jewish people. All right, so verse 4, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, this is Paul talking to King Agrippa, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion, and Pharisees believed in uh, the resurrection of the dead. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me of having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, Your Majesty, I was on the road, A light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, my Lord? Or who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I I love this. I did a whole series years ago. I probably should do another one. About that sentence right there in verse 15. Paul says, he's still Saul at this point. 
Saul says, who are you, Lord, little L? And Jesus, big L, Lord, replies. This is one of the things that I think really happens to us in the church. Oftentimes, we're asking questions of little L, Lord. Lord, that's not really in charge of anything. Lord, we don't really want us to be convicted by. Or all these different things. And we ask questions to little, little L, Lord. And big L, Lord, answers. And it really messes up our day. It messes up our life. It changes things. Because big L, Lord, has power and authority. And little L, Lord, is something that we create in our own mind. It goes along with our Christianity. And, and Saul says to little L, Lord, because he didn't know big L, Lord, yet. Who are you? And Big L Lord says, I'm Jesus. Everybody follow that? Was that? Okay. Big L Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen, and I will show you the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of God to Satan. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed the vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also the Gentiles. And then he begins to preach what he preached to them, to King Agrippa, that they must all repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things that they do. I actually do this sometimes when I'm witnessing to people. I will say to them things like, well, as a pastor, this is what I tell our church. As a pastor, I will say this. In fact, I just said this this last weekend, and I'll say something to somebody about who Jesus is. And it takes a little bit of the pressure off of them because I'm not pointing directly at them and telling them this. I'm saying, oh, this is things that we say when we talk about Jesus. <laughs> okay. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But, ever, but God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone. From the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. And this is what it is, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, here's what Paul does in a very simple thing. This is very, this is very quick and simple. And the fact that he's given audience with the king actually is interesting because this could and, and maybe even potentially should be much bigger and longer and all this stuff. But Paul keeps it very, very simplistic. In fact, he adds a few extra things in probably just because he's talking to the king. But here is the reality of, of how Paul is doing this and witnessing and how we can embrace this. The first, the first point of this is Paul explains who he was. Now, this is important because it doesn't have to be your entire life story. This is really important. I, I, I've done this for years. I did this. I've done it even here, but it's been a couple years since I did it here, where, where we will take, um, I, I will take your testimony, and I will edit and critique your testimony. Now, this always irritates people when I say that because they say, it's my testimony. You can't be changing my testimony. But, but here's the thing with this is, what you think is your testimony and what's actually your testimony are two different things most of the time. And this is one of the reasons that, that uh, we either don't witness to people or we're not necessarily that effective at it is we include everything about our life in the story. We're trying to talk to a coworker about Jesus, and we're just doing life and doing life and doing life and doing life. And then one day we switch into tell them about Jesus mode, and we're like, I was born a poor child in Mississippi. And you don't have to go back that far to get the story across. You don't have to get everything in there. 
Paul doesn't go over everything. He doesn't go over all that he learned and taught and all this stuff. He said, basically, this is who I was. I was an anti-Jesus guy, and I persecuted people that served Jesus. And then he goes to the second part with, I realized who Jesus is. And his story is, I was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus spoke to me from heaven with a big, bright light. That's a really cool story. Not all of our stories are that way. But they're just as profound if you'll just learn how to codify. And so, and I'm going to talk more about this next week. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do this next week. So I want you to be thinking about it now. But I, I, I will give you an opportunity to, to send me your testimony in a small paragraph. Now, I say this. I've been doing this for years and years. I, the, the, uh, I started doing this literally almost 20 years ago. And I, I even did this as a, as a part of a, uh, a big program that was, was part of my um, doctoral project that I had to learn. How, I had to, to it'd take too long to explain. Teach and then, and then uh, statistically analyze what was being done. And so I, I was trying to get people to just tell people about Jesus. So I would say, send me a copy of your, send me a, an email of your testimony, about a paragraph, at the very, very longest, half a page. And every single time, four pages, five pages, I've had 10, 20-page documents that were people's testimony. Now, every moment of your life is part of your testimony in the bigger picture. It is, okay? There are going to be things that you can bring in when you're talking to someone that is specific to that conversation. But that's, that's unique to that conversation. There is a core that is your testimony that this is one of the things I found is part of the reason that we don't witness or, or do a decent job at witnessing is because we have never verbalized what that actually is. We don't know what our testimony is. We know we know um, subconsciously, we know emotively, we know all these different things, but we have never learned how to verbalize. This is who I was. This is when I realized who Jesus is, and this is who I am now. And to put that succinctly, you can do it in half a page. I promise you. I have, I have critiqued these for years and sent them back to people. And they're like, you're leaving all the good stuff out. That good stuff may be good in certain moments, but it's not necessary for the basic understanding. This is who I was. That can be done in a sentence or two. I know you don't think so, but it can. This is who I was. This is the moment I realized that Jesus is, that who he is, that he is the is. When I got that, it was this moment and this time. Now, that could have been a culmination of a lot of time frames and months or years potentially, but there is a moment when you finally go, I need Jesus. And then this is who I am. And you can do that in a couple sentences too. Okay? So I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'll explain that again next week. You have the opportunity to email me, and I will read every one, and I will critique them, and I will cut them up and make you hate me. But at the end of it, you probably have a much more succinct, this is my story. Okay? Why? Why is that so important? Because when you can get that and you can wrap your mind around this is my story, it makes it so much easier to tell somebody because you've actually thought through, this is why I'm a Christian. I've sat and listened to people, and I've done this myself too, by the way. This is part of the reason I did this, is years ago when I first really began to witness to somebody, I I would just go off on all these 
church trails and theological things, and this is what our church believes, and this is what our pastor, and I was also saying in a bunch of churchy words. You understand what I'm saying? A bunch of churchy things, and people are going, what? And, and I told you before, years ago, I would quote Scripture to them. Well, the only way I knew how to quote Scripture was King James. You know how weird that sounds, standing with the guy on the side of the road? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. The Lord saith unto you, my child. And they're like, who, what? You're freaking me out. you you got to learn, first, what is your testimony, and then how can you verbalize this? Now, if you're sitting with somebody at work, and they're going through a big divorce, and, you're, and you've got some things in your past, either you've been through a divorce, or, your, or a family member has, or you worked with them, or something, then you can bring that in. That becomes part of the testimony for them at that moment. But that's not necessarily part of the testimony. It might be, but it's not necessarily. That's just part of your life journey in in understanding who Jesus is and how he helps you deal with situations. So if you're talking to somebody that's there, that's where you talk. If you're talking to somebody, they just found out this, this horrible thing by the doctor, you don't have to go over the divorce. That may have nothing to do with, I just found out I have cancer. Well, I was divorced 10 years ago. So? That's not part of your testimony. It's part of a part of your testimony to somebody specific, but not the the core of your testimony. This is who I was. This is when I realized Jesus is. This is this is the moment, and this is how I realized it. Even how you realize it. Some of what Christine was saying on that video, the moment that she got it, that's that's the key in telling somebody else. Because why? The, our brains work similar sometimes, not always in different peoples. But, but God's going to give you the opportunity to tell them, this is when I got it. Because that's revelatory for somebody. This is when I got it. It may not be how they get it, but at least they understood how you got it at that moment. And so this is when I realized who Jesus is. And then the next part is, then this is who I am now. And then who I am now, you can broaden out as conversation allows as they ask questions, as you interact, as you do this kind of stuff. Do you see this was what Paul does? He tells King Agrippa, this is who I was. Now, then I realized Jesus was God. That's the moment. And now this is what I'm doing about it. One of it is I'm standing here before you, King Agrippa, telling you this story because that's who I am now. That's a, that's a pretty easy pattern to follow when you're looking at this. So I want to show you two testimonies of somebody Witnessing. We got two of them um, that are from our church and uh, very different uh, demographics, different styles, different everything. But I want you to grab on because you can get something from both of these. They're really good. So the first one is Jim. Let's look at this. When we moved from Michigan to uh, Colorado, I asked the Lord to show me someone that I could witness to. And so I went to a barber shop, and interestingly enough, it was a woman who was the barber. So my first time having my hair cut, we just got to know each other. The second time I went in, several weeks later, I could just sense that I needed to share some things. And I carry a, a, a bag of testimonies around with me. And so whenever I'm with somebody, I can just pull one of those testimonies out and share it. In this particular instance, uh, I was sharing with this uh, barber over a period of time. I was sharing with her uh, testimonies of miracles and things that have happened that I had witnessed in my own personal life and the lives of other people. At the end of that time of having my hair cut, I asked her, because she seemed very, very interested in what I was saying, 
I answered her, I said, Donna, do you know a time and place when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And she said, no, I don't. So I said, would you like to? She said, yes, I would. So at the end of the day, I just took her hand and I said, just pray this prayer after me. It's a very simple prayer of salvation. When she finished, I said, now you have Jesus Christ in your heart. But it was such an incredible experience for her. It literally transformed her life. That was almost 18 years ago. And every time when I go and have a haircut, we talk about things about the Lord. And I just have an opportunity to witness to her. So I just encourage you, when you're in your world, go out and find people that you can talk to. Get to know them a little bit. And then you'll have an opportunity to share the good news with them. It, it, this is not an oversimplification. This is this is really how easy it is. In fact, Jim was talking to me about it that that when when he prayed with her, she just fell on him and started crying and hugging. And and her husband is was one of the barbers next to in the stool the stall next to her. And he's watching and, and his his wife's just hugging him, crying. And I, guys, it really is not that difficult to just say. Let me talk to you a little bit. Now, I do believe it's relationally built. I, I also believe in cold call, kind of, you know, I do that. And, I, in fact, I like that. I mentioned that last week. That's actually my, I, I prefer that. Um, but the best way you can do this is the people that trust you. When you build a relationship and they trust you, they will listen to what you have to say. But here's the thing that I think happens with this is we talk about Jesus, and I'm saying with coworkers, next-door neighbors, friends, family, whatever, talk about Jesus, we talk about but we never come to a point that what Jim did here was he said, have you ever asked Jesus to be in charge of your life? Would you like to? That's the part where it gets very nervous and awkward for us. Not so much for them. I used to think years ago that it, it was awkward and nervous for them. But if they trust you and they're listening and they're processing, there's a good chance that they want to pray with you. I, I, I've told different stories. I'm not telling them this morning. Different stories over the years of when that's happened to me, when I've been talking to somebody, and, and they finally say, I would love to accept Jesus, but you haven't given me the chance. That's happened to me half a dozen times. Because why? I'm scared to death to ask the question. Because I assume they're going to go from, hey, we're friends, we're buddies, to burn my house down and move to, you know, Saudi Arabia or something. I, we think somehow that there's going to be this horrible thing, and it's not. They're listening. They're interested. They're hungry. Remember, they're thinking spiritually, too. They want peace in their life. They want to love and to be loved. They want forgiveness. They want the feeling of that weight of sin off of their life. All the things that we talk about and, and sing about, and all, they want, too. And so there has to come that moment when you got to ask the question. And if they're friends with you, they're still going to be friends afterwards. They may say, I'm not interested right now. Okay, respect that. Don't try to, don't try to drive it home. You're going to go to hell. You're going to have a wreck on the way home and go to hell. Don't, you know, let's, let's be respectful to who they are as humans. And friends, we don't, we're still friends with them. But let's think this through in an intentional way. What can, I, what can I do to talk about this? Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? Are you interested? That's the way I've always asked it. Are you even interested in what I'm talking about? Is this something that, you, that you'd, you'd like to pray with me about? And most of the time they say, yeah, it really is. It's only awkward for us. So let me show you one more. This is from a, a different perspective, different demographic, um, and just as powerful. Go ahead. Me and the 
this guy named Cooper got in a really big argument about who created the Earth. He was like, oh, the Big Bang. I was like, oh, Jesus. And then Christian said that he, his mom wasn't very religious. So I was like, I'll be your friend if you be a Christian. So he did it. Yeah, he prayed. Dear God, I thank you for your mercy, and I pray that you would come into my heart. Ever since she's been a Christian, I have. and we've been best friends. Uh huh. So, um, I just remember uh, Max and Cooper having this big argument about what, as he said, who created um, Earth. So, uh, I walked over and. I agreed with Cooper, but um, as I had a talk with Max, I realized how God and Jesus made everything around us and how important they are to our life. And from then on and forever will be, I am now a Christian. But ever since I was a Christian, I felt his presence. I felt him bringing me luck and hope. That's the story. So here, here's some really cool things that you might have heard, maybe passed over, so I'll help you. The Holy Spirit revealed to this kid that Jesus is the guy. He had that revelation moment when he realized that God created everything around us. And specifically in today's society, and specifically in today's society in public schools, kids aren't having that revelation. Okay, this was a, this was a Holy Spirit moment. And the fact that, that um, just like Jim, Jim and Max both here, they weren't Afraid to ask the question. This is my friend, and I care about my friend. I, I mean, you can use collateral like I won't be your friend if you don't get saved. Use whatever collateral you got. But, you know, I'm not going to include that in my suggestions for witnessing. But I do say that, that, that maybe what Christian is hearing in his brain is, I care enough about you that I need to tell you this. And then he says stuff like, I feel like I got luck and hope and stuff like that now. Verbalize that however you want, but this is the Holy Spirit showing his Christian that, that he's real and that he's big and he can jump in the middle of his life and his world. And for Jim and Max both here, yeah, total different age groups, demographic styles, everything. I don't think Max would be very effective witnessing to me. I would have to say, sit still. I can't. We got to start there. I got... But, but here's the reality. Guys, if Jim can do this and Max can do this, then you can. Then you can. There just has to be that moment when you care enough about that person that you need to let them know that Jesus loves them. That you need to give them the opportunity. Do you want to pray with me? Because this is a big deal for me. And it's a big deal for me for you. And that we ask the question, that we take the steps, and that we do this. In John chapter 1, verse 40, look at this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him. 
And we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. I love, I love this little, just, this is this person and then this person and this person. This person went to tell this person. And they came to Jesus and Jesus told this guy and this person went and got his brother. And this, this is how this works. This is the plan. Just, just have enough something, guts, compassion, something to say, I got to tell somebody. Somebody that's important to me, I want them to know this. Now, every time, I can't help this, but every time in verse 46 where it says, Nazareth, can any good thing come from Nazareth? In my head, I always hear Boulder. Can any good thing come from Boulder? But you know what? Jesus loves Boulderites too, right? Some of you are like, I don't think he does. But he does. Jesus likes people from Boulder also. So here's the reality is we just got to go tell somebody. There's people in your life right now that you work with that trust you. They trust you that you are their friend, that you care about them. My, my suggestion, and a little bit of guilt, I guess, I'm applying here, but do you care enough about them that what they're ultimately trusting you for that they don't know that they're trusting you for is life and truth? And light, they want the same things you do. Just take the opportunity, just share it, just just say it. Can I tell you a little bit about something that's important to me? And and I I've suggested this before. I've actually done this, where you actually get to a point where you say to them, "Look, I have been friends with you for 15 years, and I've never said this, and I feel bad about this, and I want to apologize, and now I want to tell you, this is who Jesus is." I would listen to that conversation. So, so, so get that out there. Talk to him. Stand with me if you would. I promise you can do this. I would, I would reiterate, reiterate what Jim said. Just, just try it. Take the step. Somebody that trusts you, just take the step. Just try it. Use the max approach. Blackmail them. Whatever you got to do. But care enough about them that you do this. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help. Lord, I pray that whatever, wherever everyone is in this room is, God, that you, that you give us a foundation to witness to somebody. Whether that means we have to deal with insecurities or fears, God, I ask you to deal with that. Maybe it's just compassion. Lord, you've, you've changed my heart so much over the years. I truly care about souls. I didn't used to, and Lord, you've changed me. So, God, if that's, where, if that's where people are at in this room, then give them a, a brokenness in their spirit. Give them a compassion, a, a true love for lost people. Lord, maybe it's just a, a boldness just to take the step, or maybe it's a confidence that they can. Lord, help us, help us as we think about our testimony, that we can become more comfortable with our testimony. Whatever it is, Lord, give us the foundation that we need right now this morning to be able to talk to some people this week. Lord, we need to do the same thing. Go from the one guy to the next person, the next person, the next person. And let your message move through people's lives. Lord, I know that's your plan. I know it's your desire. Lord, help us to also continue to see the people around us, not as the enemy or them, but as, as people created in the image of you, God. Just like us. And we've got to help them. God, we thank you. We do thank you for giving us the opportunity 
that you do trust us enough to be the carriers of this message. Lord, help us not to take it lightly, but to take it boldly and to take it into people's life. And Lord, that we pray, Church of Briargate, will be a place where people realize that you are God. From every one of us in here taking steps forward in that, to the people that we're going to bring along with us that have never thought about it before. That you are Jesus. That you are. We thank you. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. If there's, if there's anybody in here that you're saying, I need Jesus as my Savior, we're going to pray together. We're going to all pray together here in just a second. And, and do the best you can to make this your prayer the best you can. This this is this is it. This is the most important. So let's let's pray together. Everybody repeat this with me. Lord God, I need you in charge of my life. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness, for your blood, for your cross, and for making that prayer possible. We thank you for this, Jesus. Now give us what we need to take this message to other people. We thank you for your glory, Lord God, for yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget, if you are coming to my house tonight, uh, tell me. And, or tomorrow night, if you, if you come to me and you're 35, I'm going to tell you you cannot come to my house to, tomorrow night, but you can tonight. And so don't forget, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. He will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.